的乐趣了、嗯。来福利，三振掉了于梦奎，结束了对手在五局下半的进攻。对，也可以把好球袋收的小一点，也可以积极来做攻击。面对这个变化球，打在了左半边，王一成先踩三垒，要赶时间了，传一垒，好的，一口气制造了两个出局数。六局的下半，莱弗利最后让胡金龙打成了三垒方向的高弹跳啊，形成了双杀，也结束了这个半局富邦悍将的进攻。What you just heard were some highlights from the Chinese professional baseball league, and until recently, when South Korea started playing baseball, the CPBL was the only professional league on the planet Earth playing baseball. Unlike many baseball fans in the United States who are desperate craving for a fix of watching baseball, I checked some games out, and I gotta tell you, I really enjoyed it. I really, really did. Going into it, I wasn't sure what to expect.、Um, you know, I mean, you, you you think so highly of the players in the United States, and you think that probably you know no one else can be able to hold a candle to them. But it's 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 good quality baseball. I mean the Guardians and the Brothers;、uh, those are a couple teams、um, in the CPBL and the Monkeys. And I, I feel bad that I can't remember the th- fourth one off the top of my head. They're they're not going to give the Mets a run for their money. I don't know why I just picked the Mets at, at random because I don't even like them. But it's probably the level of Double A, Triple A that you know, comparatively in the United States, pro- probably more Double A. And there's some players there on rosters who have been in the big leagues here in the United States. Ryan Carpenter. A former standout at Gonzaga who went on to play with the Tigers, he,、uh, he was there as recently as last season. He's pitching in the CPPL. And then speaking of the Tigers, Armando Galarraga, who is famously known for getting screwed out of throwing a perfect game, he went and pitched in the CPPL for a little bit too. Ah. Also speaking of the Tigers, Lions. That's the fourth team, the Lions. So I started watching these games and I became extremely interested in them and wanted to learn more. So I started looking through the rosters of all the clubs and tried to see if I could find some American players that I thought would be interesting to speak to. And man alive, did I! Mitch Lively. Mitch played college baseball at Sacramento State. He was drafted after his junior year in 2007 by the Colorado Rockies. If you play, if you play back what I just said, it, it sounds like I, I, I said junior urine instead of junior year, but I definitely said junior year. Jun, I don't junior urine wouldn't make sense. Anyhow. Mitch did he, he did very well throwing in the minor leagues. As a matter of fact, just today the Fresno Grillies Grillies. My God, I need to learn how to talk. The Fresno Grilly City <laughs> Fresno Fresno Grizzlies announced their all-time greats team. And on that club, here's some of the names: Buster Posey, Alex Bregman, Carlos Carrera, Mitch Lively. He was also the Venezuelan Winter League Pitcher of the Year back in 2014, and he's been an All Star in the CPBL. So the dude can pitch, and on top of that, he really enjoys playing the game. Put Mitch Lively in your Google machine and look at some videos of him pitching. You're going to find videos of him just fiercely throwing the ball on the mound. And in addition to that, you're also going to see somewhere he's just having the time of his life, enjoying himself, just throwing trick pitches, efficient pitches. Um, earlier this year, there was a video that went viral of a college pitcher doing this, this wacky pitch where he's、uh, doing his windup and then he puts the ball behind his mitt and then he shows the shows the batter his empty hand, and then he continues his motion and he gets the ball back in and then ends up throwing this pitch. That was originally done by Mitch Lively. So when it came to me reaching out and seeing if I could find a player to talk to me about baseball in Taiwan. 
that was the guy I wanted to talk to. And thankfully, that was the guy who wanted to talk to me. Maybe not wanted to talk to me, but he could tolerate talking to me. The conversation we had was one of the most interesting and informative and entertaining interviews I've had with someone. So I really think you'll enjoy it. And it's especially interesting because as we right now hope to have Major League Baseball come back soon, we talk about kind of what's going on in Taiwan and how they were able to have professional baseball and the precautions and baby steps that they're taking to bring baseball back to its normalcy. And um, what is... What is... Cut out the jibber-jabber. Don't be babbling like a fool. Say what you got to say. That's all. Then shut your dang pow-hole. Okay. Um, oh, here, here's Mitch, Mitch Lively of the China Trust Brothers on the 1-2-3 Inning College Baseball Podcast. You did the last two games in the booth. Was that the first time you've ever done any sort of commentary? Because... I don't want to inflate your ego, but you sounded really, really at ease. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was my first time ever commentating any kind of sporting event whatsoever. It was just felt like I was just talking to friends the whole time, you know? Yeah, well, it came across that way. I mean, you're a natural. I think you got a future in, a future in being in the booth. Well, that'd be nice. I just don't think I have a good voice, a good uh, voice for people to listen to. So. Oh, well... I mean, you don't sound like Jack Buck. You don't have that kind of a voice, but you have one that comes across as very warm and very friendly. And especially for someone who's new to watching the Taiwan version of baseball, you did a really good job of explaining the nuances between the CPBL and MLB. Yeah, and that's I was trying to, you know, I knew we had a lot of first-time viewers and people who have never even really watched baseball at all. So I was trying to just you know, explain to them and tell them different situations and why things are done the way they were done. Now let's switch to your, your playing career. So I noticed that, so I guess to start off with, you weren't even really a baseball player in college, were you? You were a kind of a football guy, and that's how you went to Sacramento State on a, on a football scholarship? Yeah, I went to Sacramento State on a football scholarship for kicking and punting, and um, I ended up walking. After the football season, I went into walk-in. I tried to walk on to the baseball program, not knowing that they had fall ball and everything already. The, co- the coaches asked, well, what position do you play? And I told them I played outfield, and they kind of laughed at laughed me out of the room. Why is that? Just cut like seven, they had just cut like seven or eight guys. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. There's a lot of scholarship, so they were just kind of like, yeah, oh, okay, you know. And so I kind of name dropped some of the coaches at the time that were <laughs> like Buddy Goldberg uh-huh. at UNLV and some of the coaches at UNLR Kansas. And um, so they called around, and literally within an hour, they called me and asked, Can I pitch? And at that point, I had never pitched before. And so I said, Well, I'll try anything to play baseball. They gave me a week to get my arm into shape. And, uh, you know, I was throwing a football every day, playing catch. You know, you're a kicker. You can only kick so much. It's like throwing a bullpen sure. kicker all day. So I'd throw a football every day, so my arm was strong. And uh, the first day off the mound, I was like 91. So they were like, yeah, you can pitch. <laughs> so I ended up playing three years, of, three years of baseball at Sacramento State and then got drafted. Yeah, and then speaking of that, and I don't mean this to sound uh, disrespectful, but I saw your numbers at Sacramento State. Pretty thick ERA, and then so how was it that you were you ended up getting drafted? 
funny that you say that because my wife and I were talking one day. I didn't really remember much about my college baseball career, to be honest. More of my football career, you know, stood out to me. But um, my wife and I were looking at my stats, and I'm like, how did I ever get drafted with these numbers? <laughs> okay, good, because I don't want to sound like I was being a jerk. <laughs> I just looked at it, and I'm like, what? Yeah, no, uh, they tried to make me a start my junior year. Or one, I had a really good freshman year in, like, 20 appearances. But then my junior year, they tried to move me into a starter to start the season. And I was only able to – I would always go, like, three solid innings, and then I would get really tired because I didn't have a fall ball or anything to get my arm in shape. And, uh, you know, then I'd go out for the fourth or fifth inning, and I would just give up, like, six runs. And then after about four or five starts, they moved me to a closer. And then as a closer, I did really good. I, I think I was, like, eighth in school history in saves. So I did really good as a closer, but I was throwing really hard at the time. I was like 94 to 97. Okay, well, that makes more sense. I didn't look at the breakdown because, yeah. And I know that, you know, if you don't have a lot of innings, it's easy to get your, you know, ERA inflated, so. Yeah, yeah. But especially, I, I was just raw. Like, I just threw hard. That's really why I got drafted. I didn't have a, slider. I didn't have a, <laughs> sure. a third pitch. I just had a fastball slider. So I just was on raw talent. And then you're picked in the 16th round. Did you have any idea that was coming? Did you, because that's kind of, you know, you're mid-range there. It's maybe you will, maybe you won't. Was it a surprise? Were you, were, I mean, were you, were you sitting on by the phone? Yeah, I, I thought I was going to get drafted a little bit earlier. I had the White Sox and a couple other teams calling me around the 7th saying, hey, we're going to take you in the 10th. And I was like, okay, okay. And then, you know, it kept going by, going by. And then the Rockies called me. Before they even picked me, I got the phone call from them. So, and then, you know, I'm looking at your numbers. You know, after college, your numbers were, you've always been consistently pretty good. Um, and then, it, you know, in the minor leagues, you advance to AAA. And then your last, you know, full season there, you had really good numbers. 35 innings, only allowing 21 hits. And it looked like you're kind of on the doorstep of maybe getting a call up. Yeah, that was in 2015 with the, the, with the um, Nationals. With the Washington, yeah. So, and then it seems, so what happened then? Because then it looked like then you kind of switched to being, being more of a foreign international player. Yeah, that season I was um, throwing really well. I was actually, at that moment, I was leading the league in almost every relieving category. And um, I got a call to go to Japan. Literally, it was like overnight. My agent called me one night. He says, hey, would you want to go play in Japan? I said, yeah, if they don't have any plans on calling me up, I definitely want to. And my agent says, well, you know, a lot of teams say they're interested, but, you know, this could take months or a month or whatever. They just, you know, whatever. I said, Do I, yeah, I want to go. And the, the next morning I'm at the gym working out for a game, and my agent calls me. He goes, all right, pack your stuff. You're going to Japan. Literally, that's how fast it was. And uh, wow. like I didn't even know what, I didn't even know what team I was going to. Uh, it came out and the media was announcing I was going to the uh, the Tigers, and so I thought I was going to the Tigers. And then my my uh, agent sent me the contract and it was to the Nepal Ham Fighters. I literally all I knew was the amount of money I was going for. I didn't know what team. <laughs> so I literally we were on the road that day, and I literally just hopped on a flight, flew back to Syracuse, packed up my stuff, and then flew back to the California, picked up my wife, and we flew to Japan. Had you ever been to Japan before? I mean, that that's that's quite the leap of faith. Yeah. 
Well, the first I've ever been away from home at that point was Venezuela winter ball. So that was wow, pretty big move and a good career move for my family. I hope your wife knew what was going on because you said that happened pretty quick. Yeah, she she was excited. But good. It was it was a whirlwind. <laughs> That's the baseball life, you know. You can be in Syracuse, New York, one day and getting called up, or you know Richmond yeah, yeah. when I was at the Giants. And then the next day, you know, you're in Fresno, California the next day. And then two days, a week, two weeks later, you can go back to Richmond. You know, it's just, that's a baseball life. And then it looked like you'd thrown a couple of years in Japan. You've made one more tour back in the United States. And then you've pitched in Mexico. So how is it that you're able to move around? Is this, is this, is this your agent kind of looking for opportunities for you? Actually, I found um, after Japan, I found all of my jobs on my own. Uh, I found the two Mexico jobs, all my winter ball jobs I found on my own, and then uh, Interesting. my job here. Yeah, and then my job here, I um, got just a, a call. You know, I got a call from a, uh, an agent here, and then so I contacted my agent. Hey, this guy contacted me, and then I got my job here. But uh -huh. basically, just putting up good numbers is what has kept me getting jobs every year. I keep joking around. You know, I'm, everyone asks me when I'm going to retire, and I always say I'm one bad year away from retirement because I'm 34 years old. So one bad year away, no one's going to pay a 34-year-old for a bad season. Keep having really good years. And my last three winter balls, I've you know, really been doing really well in my winter balls, so that keeps getting me jobs as well. With your, it seems like you're almost throwing nonstop. Do you have any concern with, um, you know, fatigue in your arm? Playing nine years straight with no offseason. Nine years of winter ball. I go straight from my season, normally in September, but the last three, they've ended on October, and then I take two weeks off and I go straight down to winter ball, and then I play till about mid-January and take two weeks off and then come to my season. And I've done that the last nine years. But I haven't never had any uh, arm problems, not on wood. Knock on wood, um, no arm problems. This is actually the first injury that I've had as far as anything putting me out for a long period of time. Now let's kind of talk about what you're, how you're playing with, with Taiwan, or not with Taiwan, in Taiwan. Um, I guess first of all, and here's the question that I have, and I know I'm sure you've been asked it a lot, why is it called the Chinese Professional Baseball League when you're in Taiwan? Because it's a territory of China. Um, you know, like kind of like Chinese Taipei. When they're in the when they're in the Olympics or any kind of qualifying event, they're not called Taiwan. They're called Chinese Taipei. I, I really don't know the exact answer, but that's <laughs> why I believe so. Because even in their you know Olympic qualifying in WBC, they're Chinese Taipei. They're not Taiwan, but they don't. You know, when you're here, they don't associate. No, China doesn't own us. That's their mindset. They're an ROC of China, Republic of China. Do they play baseball in mainland China at all? I don't think it's to a professional. They. It's more of an amateur thing. Um, I know that Major League Baseball has its camps and it has um, some clinics and stuff that they put on trying to push it more in China. Um, our pitching coach, John Foster, actually was over there for two years working with some teams and stuff about that. So he knows a lot more about the baseball over there in China. But as far as a um, professional league, I don't believe so. So, as far as the league that you're in now, I mean, obviously, it's baseball's baseball to some degree, but you guys, the league has its own unique flavor. One of the things that stand out is, is the cheerleaders on the dugout. And it's my understanding that, th that that's not just a, a COVID thing. They're there for all the games, and they're really an integral part of the experience. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's something that was touching on on the last two games that I covered. You know, I was trying to let fans know that, hey, these cheerleaders aren't just for you guys. They're actually up there every single night. They go from the first inning to the fourth inning, and then they take the fifth and sixth off, and then they come back out for the seventh, eighth, and ninth. But what they do is, you know how you can hear that music playing during the game? Yeah, absolutely. That when our hitters were hitting? So that oh, yeah. Playing. Here, um, hitters don't have walkout songs. Like in the States where they play walkout music and then when you step in the box, it's done. They have a walkout cheer and chant and song. So when that hitter steps in the box, the whole crowd starts doing the cheer. It's like a song and song and cheer that they do. As well as the cheerleaders are leading the cheer, the dance. So they're kind of like the um, conductors of the, the dance. So when you look into the stands, all the fans are doing the same dance that those cheerleaders are doing the whole time. Wow! So each player has their unique like song with like with like their name in it, or I mean, yeah, it has like their name in it, or you know something to it. But it's like they have a song and, and dance. You, you could probably YouTube it, uh, YouTube it, and it's on there, I'm sure. But yeah, the whole crowd, the crowd does the stand up and they do the dances and cheers. And they also have like rally songs for the team. So like when they score a run, it'll be a certain song and cheer that the, the fans all do. And everybody knows the cheers. Even if, let's say you're a first time uh, fan uh, going to the game, uh, after the game, they'll, people will stay and learn the chants. So they'll go over okay. and teach the chants to people afterwards. For, you know, normally it's a small amount of people that stay because it's the first time, but the, yeah. There's little kids that know all these dances. Like they just go there and do all the dances the whole time. Grown men, grown women. Like you've never seen anything like it. It truly isn't entertaining. And you know, Friday night once um, they allowed the thousand fans in. I like I was explaining to people that they're gonna actually see a small glimpse of those fans dancing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you'll actually be able to see it. It's pretty cool. How how big are the stadiums there? Or what's your capacity and what's your average kind of crowd? I think our stadium holds like twenty two to twenty four thousand, but I the average I would say anywhere eight to eight to nine on a weekday, and then twelve to fifteen on a weekend. Those are pretty good. Those are very good numbers. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, pretty good. Weekends are definitely a lot. Um, are full Friday night, Saturday night, just like anywhere else you play. That's going to be the biggest night of the week to go. But midweek, you're looking at anywhere, I would say, yeah, seven to to 8,000 in the weekends, you're in the double digits. Now, one question that I, um, a question that I had submitted during the broadcast yesterday, and I guess I had a follow-up to it as well, is you're, nine, you're number 97. How did, is there a reason you picked that number? And then kind of a follow-up, and you touched on it during the game yesterday, is I find it interesting that so many players have very high numbers. It's it's like you're watching a spring training game for for you know the major leagues. Yeah, I'll I'll touch on my number first. Uh, when I my first year in Venezuela, my number was 97. I don't know why they just gave me my first year playing winter ball and, and they gave me number 97. And that year I got pitcher of the year down there. And so the next five seasons of Venezuela, I kept number 97. And then in Mexico, I was 57, and all the teams I played for, I was number 57. So when I first came over here, uh, my first season, they gave me a list of numbers that I could have. I got to pick it mm-hmm. from the certain list. And 57 wasn't on there, but 97 was. And I was like, eh, well, I'll take 97. So I just took 97 because I'd worn it before. 
And actually, I never knew this until last year, and I've worn that number for six seasons, that a fan told me, oh, I have the same birthday as you. It's the same as your number. And now that I think of it, 9-7, my birthday September 7th. I had never known that. You didn't even... <laughs> I never knew that in six years of wearing that number. And a fan told me that, yeah, that's your birthday. And I was like, oh, it really it is? It's crazy. And, yeah, it was unbelievable. Last year I found that out. So it was crazy. It's also just, it's unbelievable. That's why I wore 97, because I'd worn it in Venezuela before. Um, to, to touch on why there's so many high numbers here, um, in the states, in the United States, you know, you have your minor league, your, your minor league um, affiliates are separated from your major affiliate, so you know, you know, they're they're not owned by the affiliate team, so they have their own jerseys, everything. Well, here the minor league system, and and this this is um, the same thing for Korea and Japan. They, the minor league system is only one team, and the major league is one team. But so when they call guys up and down, they're calling them from the minor league, so they have to have separate numbers. 28-man roster in the big leagues, but there's still another 42 guys down here in the minor leagues. So you have to have 62 numbers, you know, or 60 players that have numbers, and then that's not counting bullpen guys and coaching staff. It, you know, when, when you add all that up, you're in about 80, 80 people that wear an actual jersey sure. in the organization. So that's why there's so high numbers. I also touched on it yesterday that a lot of people will start changing numbers. When they, you know, they'll start with a really high number, and then when a guy retires or something like that, that younger guy will yeah work your way down. You know, if a guy gets released, he'll take that number. So you see a lot of uh, number swapping every year. And then you you just mentioned um, the minor leagues and. When I'd first heard in a game the mention of the minor leagues, I guess I found that surprising, and I don't know why. For, I, I just, I guess, assumed that for whatever reason, baseball in Taiwan was just kind of a free-for-all where your guys, you know, the teams were getting free agents. But it sounds like you guys no, they, ha has a whole system there with a draft and minors. and Yeah, they do a draft every June. And the players that come from the United States, like two years ago, C.C. Lee, he pitched in the you know, big leagues with the Indians and a couple teams in the States. They say, hey, I don't want to play in the States anymore. They come here, they have to go into the draft as well. So they enter into the draft. Even though you know they've already been a professional oh. player, they have to go in the draft with these high school and college kids and get drafted as well. So they get a signing bonus and everything all over again. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, they do a draft. There's minor leagues, but you're only capped at. There's a cap of only being able to have 60 players in your major leagues. So when that draft happens, there's however many guys they draft. Normally, anywhere from six to eight. They'll they'll um, release six to eight guys on the organization that next day. You you just talked about players coming over from the United States. It seems like um, all the American players that are playing in Taiwan are pitchers. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, as you've seen in watching the last um, couple football games, I mean, baseball scores. Um, <laughs> uh, they're not really lacking in the hitting in this league. No, they're not. All the hitters are really good. I, you know, they're they can hit. A lot of these, some of these hitters played in the big leagues. There's Chin Hu. Um, you probably remember him when he played with the Dodgers. Who's on first? When Scully did, who's on first? That was him. He's in this league. He plays for the Fubon Guardians. 
And, um, you know, there's guys that played in the big leagues. There's guys that played all the way to AAA level. There's probably 10 to 15, maybe 20 guys that played AA or lower. So there's a lot of talent in this league of guys that have gone overseas or even guys that have played in Japan and then come back. So there is a lot of talent as far as that. But that being said, also the level of pitching here isn't that high. You don't see very many flamethrowers or hard, really good pitching. You'll have, you know, one, probably one one or two really good local starter pitchers that can give you some innings. And then you have yeah. one or two bullpen guys that are pretty good. Like ours, we have CC Lee and a couple guys in the bullpen. But then, then in the bridge that gap early in the game, there's really not, it could be hit or miss as you've seen in the games. Like that's where it kind of gets blown out, out of proportion is when the relievers start coming on. So a lot of the teams, they go to get import starting pitching. That way they can get guys that can go seven, eight innings and bridge that gap yeah. for the better relievers. So that's why they really, they, teams have tried to do the hitting, but unless the guy's going to hit 500, what's the point? Because you got guys literally hitting. Because you already got great hitters. Yeah. Yeah, you already have guys that can hit 360 because, you know, so you want guys that can come in and give you two starts a week you know, a start every five days and a chance to win a game. So that they, that's why they go out after the starting pitching more so because of the, the difference in the pitching. Now, when I was looking over the teams and looking over the rosters, I would, I would kind of go, I was going team to team, and then I'd look for players who I thought from the United States and kind of I was kind of looking at their background. And when I came across your name, I did some internet searches for you and your personality jumped out and from, from the videos that I saw, especially because there's a number of videos of you throwing trick pitches. And yeah. so there's and at least two in particular, and I wanted to ask you about those. Um, first of all, I saw one where you have this insane windup where it kind of was reminiscent of a Bugs Bunny pitching video where you're just around the world. whirling your arm around. Yeah. What is up with that pitch? Uh, actually, I invented that in the United States back in 2013. Um, I was a reliever my whole career. My first uh, seven years of my career, I was a reliever in the Giants organization and the Rockies organization. And it was my second year in AAA with the Giants at that time. And I'd never started, and I had the opportunity to make a spot start and so I made a spot start, and then the next day I made another spot start. And I was supposed to go back to the bullpen. Well, they're like, hey, you're going to make another start. So I had to actually throw a bullpen between these starts, and I never throw a bullpen between starts because I wasn't supposed to be a real starter. So I was in the bullpen, and my friend at the time, Roderick, or was still my friend, but Roderick Kieschnick, he was a lefty. He played with the, the Diamondbacks and the Giants a little bit in the big leagues. He's like, hey, do you mind if I stand in? You know, just get some reads off off you off a live arm. I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I'm throwing, and he's sitting in there. So I'm like, I told the pitching coach, hey, I'm gonna mess with him right here. And I did that, and I did that wind up right there. And he literally like fell on the ground laughing. My pitching, my and I go, he was actually that was really good. Like it came out so much harder. And, I go, really? <laughs> and the pitching coach goes, yeah, that actually looked so much more effortless out of you. Like it was a lot better. And he goes, you won't do it if you get a guy 0-2. And I'm like, I don't know. I got to ask the pitching coach. He goes, I don't care. Do whatever you want. <laughs> and so I did it. Uh, we were in Reno, Nevada, and I got the first hitter of the game, 0-2, and I looked back at him in right field, and he's like, do it. So I did that wind-up, and I normally I was about anywhere from 90, 92, 
and that pitch was like 94. And I struck the guy out. And so I was like, well, I'm going to start doing this. And so I continued to do it through winter ball that year and then just kind of through my career. It seems like it should be illegal. Uh, What's that? I I mean, just the, I mean, is there a limit to how many, if you wanted to, could you sit up there and just completely continue to windmill? I mean, because it seems like it should be some sort of weird bulk or illegal, but. Like Satchel Page used to do the same thing. Like all the old time. Okay. There's nothing illegal about it, you know. And even if you look at some of the Japanese guys, because people are like, well, he takes his hands apart and then puts them back together, you know. But if you look at some of these Japanese and Asian they do the same exact thing without the twirling and the arm swing. They, you know, <laughs> they'll do that and stuff like that. But I just kind of do it to – when I'm doing that as a pitcher, I'm kind of locked in the zone and I'm having fun. And when when I'm having fun, it's like I'm locked in. If I yeah. have a game where I'm just grinding, I'm trying to get out, which – Let's be honest, as a pitcher, probably 70% or 50% of your starts are grinds where you're just trying to get through a game. I'm not really doing that. But the days where I'm really locked in and everything's feeling good, you're getting ahead of guys, you know, 1-2, 0-2, I'm doing it that night. Now, the other pitch I wanted to ask you about is one where I don't think you could throw it in a game, at least not a regular season game, because the video I saw you throwing it was from last year's All-Star game. And what you did is you started your windup and you brought your hand and the ball behind your back. And then you basically do a trick pitch where you show the batter your empty hand while you're hiding the baseball. And then when you continue your motion, you put the ball back in your hand and throw it. But is that something that you saw someone else do or how, how did that come about? No, I had been messing around with that in the bullpen. And actually, that was the third time I've done it. In 2000, oh really? Actually, yeah, in 2016, I did it in Mexico. Um, my last game of the season in Mexico, my team was in last place. We were terrible. It was my last out, <laughs> and I was I was facing my former former team that I had gotten traded from, and I I was closing at the time, and I had a guy, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna just do it, and I ended up striking him out with it, and he's, there's a video of him just sitting there like, what what, what just happened? I threw it like 93 right down the middle and uh, just walking off laughing. It actually went viral at the time in 2016, like Barstool Sports, ESPN, CRNO. It was all over the place. And then I did it again in Mexico, or I mean in Venezuela that same year, struck another guy out. And then um, a lot of people knew. When I did do it that year in Mexico in 16, Funny. This is a really funny story about that. Is um, I so I did that in Mexico. That was my last game. My team didn't make the playoffs. I signed and went back to the United States in 2016 with the Nationals. And I had just done that pitch, and I'm sitting in the locker room, and everybody's on social media in the locker room, like, "Oh my God, look at this pitch! Look at this pitch! This is hilarious." Mm-hmm. And one of my former one of my former teammates that I had played with a couple of years ago looks. He looks at everybody and goes, yeah, the guy's sitting right next to you. I literally showed him the hard copy on my phone. So it was pretty funny. But, yeah, so as far as the All-Star game, I did it. I, I was doing it, but the umpire came up, and he just yelled, no pitch, no pitch, and I just lobbed it in. But it was funny. All the fans loved it. All my teammates, they were laughing and losing it. You know, the umpires here are really serious. Even in the All-Star game, they were just by the book serious. There was no letting people have fun, you know. That was just a bet. Like, I'm in Mexico. Why not? That's the way it started. Sure. (laughs) Actually, did you see on ESPN the college kid who did it? 
I did. There's a Division three kid um, earlier this year. I actually wrote that kid on Instagram, and I just wrote him. I said, hey, man, I, I love the move. You pulled it off perfect. And he writes me back, and he goes, thank you. And then probably like 20 minutes later, he writes me back. He goes, oh, my gosh, I just realized who you are. You're the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty funny, too. I haven't played in the States for so long, but people know me from things like that, which is fine. But I wanted to know that I'm actually a decent pitcher as well. <laughs> And then, you know, part of your, I guess, being a decent pitcher, um, I also noticed that there are some videos of you online where you're changing your, I guess, your footwork and you're kind of mixing things up. And I kind of got a hint of it from listening to the game. It sounds like you kind of have to do that, especially in the Taiwan League. They're playing in Taiwan because these pitchers, the batters know you. So you're basically kind of mix things up a little bit. Yeah, that, that's what I was talking about on the, um, on the TV the other day is, you know, it, in a normal, real season, even in a big league season when you're playing 160 games, you might face a guy seven times, maybe ten, right? Here, I might face a guy seven, ten times in one week or one, one mm-hmm. month because there's only four teams. So I'm facing three teams. So sometimes you might face a team back-to-back, like our imports this week. They faced Lamigo yesterday or last weekend. They're facing them this weekend. So you think about it, you have three, four, four appearances against those guys last week, and now they're seeing you three, four more times this week. And that's just in two weeks. They're getting eight at-bats off of you. So you have to change your game plan, your strategy. You know, this league has made me a better pitcher as far as learning to throw my off-speed both sides of the plate up, down, change my speeds with not just my fastball, but also my off-speed. You know, a get-me-over slider or a slider with more bite and also just varying different times, maybe leg kicks, anything you can just to get an edge on these hitters. I overheard in the the, uh, the broadcast yesterday, you'd mentioned that the team all stays together in a hotel. Is that all the teams and all the time, or is that just something that's going on right now because of the virus? Because I th- thought that was pretty interesting. They have, um, it's not, it's like a dorm. Like they own a, a whole, do- they call it dorms, but, they own their own apartment complex or their big building with all these apartments. And so everybody lives in the same apartment building. So everybody lives in that building. The buses pick you up from your apartment, drive you to the field, and the buses drive you back if you don't want to drive your car. You know, a lot of guys don't want to drive the car or the imports and some of the staff, they don't have cars. So we take the bus. But, yeah, all of the players live in the same apartment. They're called dormitories, but they're – legit apartments everybody lives in the same building it's not like in the states where you know two guys live over here in these apartment complexes yeah. these guys rent a house over there no everybody's in the same spot the visiting teams don't stay in the same place do they do the visiting no, no, teams they, stay in the same okay no, no they stay at hotels so when you're on the road you stay at really nice hotels with the team your your team but just you know each team has their own apartment complex they own for their players and their staff. It's not just players, their staff, coaching staff. The, um, a lot of the front office people live in it too. So it's not just the players. It'll be like the guys in marketing and stuff like that as well, or interpreters, everybody is there at that building. And they have their own gym. They'll have, like, some of them, not, ours not so much, but like Fubon's. Fubon, they just built this big new one that they all live at, and they have their own gym there. They have a training room in there. Like, they're this big 
kitchen, if guys can go into this big kitchen and, you know, cook, or if they don't want to cook in their room. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's like their own little base, home base. Now, do, can families stay with the players? Yeah, if you're married. So you have to be married for your family to be able to stay with you. Um, oh, I know. What's the concern now with the virus because you guys are together so much? I mean, it seems that your league could potentially stop if one player gets sick, especially with you guys all playing together and living together. Yeah, that's one of the big um, the big emphasis of the league and of each team is, hey, we have to be serious about this. If one, we're the only people playing, you know, up till this week, we're the only people in the world playing. If one person in the league, that's even a staff member or a camera crew guy that comes in, if one person that works in the CPBL in the whole league gets sick or shut down. So they literally, they're taking temperatures, uh, hand sprays at the front of all these comp, uh, apartment complexes, like I told you. They're, when you walk into the, the stadiums, they have you have to go through these roped off where there are infrared cameras checking your temperatures while they're actually checking your temperatures, spraying your hands before you walk in. Mandatory, you have to wear a mask wherever you go. Um, they also have organizational rules, like our organization has a rule, we're not allowed to go to public places. So we're not allowed to go to restaurants, we're not allowed to go to the night markets, to the shopping malls. We basically just have to stay in our apartment, and if we want to go get food, we have to order it out, go get it, pick it up, and come back. But always wearing a mask. And if we don't have our mask on, if we get caught like not having our mask on, you get, they'll fine us, stuff like that. So they're really on top of it as far as the prevention and the country's been on top of it. So, you know, they've only had 463 cases, confirmed cases here and um, only six deaths the whole time since the whole, since the breakout of day one. So the, the country's done an amazing job as far as that. Wow. I'm just trying to wrap my head around still the fact that basically you're staying either at the hotel or the stadium. I mean, it's not like we're doing a whole lot here in the United States, but, I mean, you know, you could at least go for a drive or a walk or something like that if you wanted to. But They'll, they'll let you go out. Like, you can go out and stuff. So say you leave the apartment. If you come back, they're checking your temperature. They're, you're going through the process every time you come in and out. They have somebody down there checking mm -hmm. your temperature, logging you in. Even a lot of the restaurants, as, as a, a country here, a lot of the restaurants, when you go in to eat at them, if you sit down to eat, they take your phone number. So they're like, hey, okay, we want your name and your phone number. That way, if there's a confirmed case that comes out, they can be like, oh, all right, there was a case that broke out here, and they can call the mm -hmm. people that way they know about it, and they can go get tested. I mean, the country here is just on top of it as far as they shut the borders down early. As soon as that breakout day one, they shut it down. They weren't letting people in. Um, and then now if you come in for the last month, if you come in, mandatory 14-day um, quarantine. And it's not like in the States where you can go outside and walk. It's quarantine. You're stuck. They put you up in an apartment at the airport, and you are there for 14 days. You can't even go in the hallway. They bring you three meals a day, and they check your temperature three times a day. Yeah, Josh Renicky actually went home for a birth. He's a pitcher for the Lions. Went home for a family member's birth, uh, for his daughter's birth, came back and had to do that 14-day quarantine. He said it was miserable. Couldn't leave. He had to do the workout in the hotel room, put his mattress up against the wall, threw ball into the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, you'd mentioned earlier you're 34. Um, I mean, you still have some, as long, you know, as long as you're healthy, you still have um, 
you could still have a good number of years pitching ahead of you. Um, are you just kind of going with the flow? Are you hoping to get back to the United States? Are you happy playing in overseas? Are you going to complete your tour of the Pacific and go down in Australia? What's what's the future have and hold for you? Um, yeah, like like I said earlier, I'm one bad one bad year away from retirement. But you know, I ultimately would like to get have a good year here, play two, play uh, at least one, maybe two more years in this league before I retire. Um, but I love playing winter ball, so I'll I'll be in Mexico probably again this winter playing for the Venados down there in Boswell. I played there the last three seasons. Um, I just I love playing. I love everything about it. You can only put this jersey on once, and once you take it off and done, you're not really going to be able to come back. As far as going to the states, I gave up on the states actually in, uh, after 2016 when I played in Mexico. I played a season in Mexico, and then I went back to the states, and I just I wasn't in love with the baseball there anymore. It was just it's so political and kind of got ruined it got kind of kind of got ruined you just feel like you're a piece of meat or you're just a different number and you know i have a family so i'm just i was 30 years old at the time i'm out to just make money for my family and provide for my family and here gives me a great opportunity to do that they pay really well here so um i've made i made more money out in my career uh, out i made all my money outside of playing affiliate i only made real money the first two years or my last two seasons in the states other than that, I was playing for basically free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know that whole story about the minor league system, but oh yeah, I didn't make money until my my last two years of free agency. I actually made decent money, but then I started going overseas and making real money. But yeah, I was having to play winter ball to actually pr- my first four years of winter, five years of winter ball. I played literally just to pay for my season to play affiliate ball the next year because I really wasn't making any money. Yeah, that's horrible. My my first year at AAA, I made twenty six hundred dollars a month pre tax, pre fifteen dollar days, fifteen dollars a day dues. So my take home was probably about six hundred dollars a month. And you know, Ugh. you're only playing for a five month season, so I made I think like thirteen thousand yeah. dollars in that whole season. My first year in winter ball, I made that in one month. So <laughs> it was it was crazy. It's crazy. It's it yeah. Crazy. And in Taiwan, you got it. You have an apartment. You're staying in nice hotels. You're being appreciated by the, I mean, the fan, I mean, it sounds, it seems like you, you guys are really embraced by the fans and the culture. So, I mean, um, here they treat you like big leagues outside the dormitory. I, like I told you, um, where we live normally on, on a normal day, pre COVID, there would be probably a hundred fans outside our apartment every day waiting for autographs or waiting for us. And then not counting one so of the fans that are waiting. So I mean, you're, a, you're a big guy. So you're, you're, stand out there yeah yeah anywhere i go even my son my my son's even famous out here he's two years old people know who he is <laughs> it's, it's crazy like they treat you like you're a superstar out here and you know it, that's what we you what you dreamt of when you were a little kid playing baseball was a guy you know and out here you get that opportunity to be well, that's that. terrific I mean, it's a small bit of what a, you know of what a mike trout or any you know yeah are, but still you're pretty famous here well, then speaking of famous and superstars, I was uh, I was looking at the on the Brothers Online store, and I saw you could get personalized jerseys, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna look and see if I can get a lively jersey, but the only one they had was a 34 number 34. I might kill the name. It was, it was like Peng Ching Min, and I thought he was like one of the. He had looked like he had led the league in hitting, 
Okay. 34 is the closer for our team. His name's CC Lee. Um, he's the guy I told you pitched in the big leagues in the States. And then the guy that you're talking about, his name's Cha-Cha. He's number 23. They definitely still sell all his stuff in there. But he just retired last year. Benjamin, they call him Cha-Cha. This is his uh, nickname. That's what everybody calls him. But, yeah, Ping. He's like – And so he's uh, – Yeah, he played like 21 seasons here. And he just retired at 41 years old this last season. And now he's the uh, assistant director of the whole organization. And you called him Cha-Cha. I understand you have a, a unique nickname. <laughs> Princess Lifely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's so funny, you know. Like, I joke around. My wife and I joke around about it. Like, in Mexico, I actually have a nickname because I've played there for five years. I have the nickname Boss. Everyone there calls me Boss. Hey, Boss. Hey, Boss. Like, that's a cool nickname to have, you know? Like, you're like, yeah, Boss. <laughs> sure, I go sure. To Ta- I go to Taiwan, and my name is Princess Waifu Lee. Like, <laughs> it's just funny because that's just the difference in culture. Like, the Asian culture, everything's cute. You know what I mean? Like, everyone wants to be. Oh, yeah. It's their culture. Everything's cute here. All the girls, when they laugh, like, cover their mouth like a little schoolgirl. Like, it's just the culture here. Everything's cute. Well, it sounds like you're having a terrific time. Um, and even though you're, you know, not throwing in the States, I don't think that it sounds like you couldn't care less. Um, you're having a good time and playing, doing something that you love. And I think that's awesome. I, I'm, I don't want to say glad, but, you know, one of the small bright spots is that the fact that we're not playing baseball in the United States has brought, you know, some additional exposure to you guys. And I think there's a lot that we here in the United States could learn from you guys, especially in, with, the, you know, with the COVID virus, um, as, well as, as well as the elimination of extra innings. You guys only played a 12, right? right? Yeah, they only, and it's the best. I, I guarantee if they probably offered that to the MLB Players Association, that, that uh, players would agree for They would be like, yeah, let's play 12. Who cares? Because let's be honest, none of the players, you don't get overtime. You don't you don't want to be there 16, 18 innings. Like, but yeah, you, I mean, the other part is you're a little bit more competitive in the States where you want to win. Like, we want to be a winner or a loser. What the heck's this tie crap? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But as a player, like, well, here, I love it. Or 12th inning, I don't have to sit here until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. I get to go home, yeah. like, regardless. Like, who cares? I really like I, I don't mind it. But it's uh, – and the fans, like, how many fans stay for an 18-inning game? Most of them are gone by the 12th, the 13th anyway. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's really good. I mean, and I, I'm really excited that they're actually opening the gates this Friday and the games are still going to be on TV because, you know, the fans are going to be able to actually see the, the viewers on TV are going to actually see a small little glimpse of what the atmosphere and what, what we have been talking about today and what I was talking about on TV last night of how awesome this league is and how fun and kind of quirky it is, you know? Well, I've definitely become a fan. I'm going to continue to watch. Even if Major League Baseball were to start tomorrow, I'm still going to continue to watch your guys play out there, especially now that I know a little more about the game and the personalities. So thank you very much for, for talking to me. It's, it's been very fun. It's been very enlightening. I wish I was able to pronounce the players' names better, but that'll come. Nonetheless, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, and I hope the fans uh, continue to watch a little bit while they can, and I, I really hope that this all ends and baseball can be back in the world. All right, well, that was it. Huge thank you to Mitch Lively. Thank you to CPBL for being out there. I love watching your games every morning. And of course, 
thank you so much for listening. Remember to help control the animal population. Spay and neuter your pets. Until next time, this is the one, two, three, college and... I can't even say anything. This is the one, two, three, and college baseball podcast. Thanks. There's a high